It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans? So welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we will update the progress of our Mock Madness bracket, give you a couple more quick matchups to talk about, and then get into the mailbag. We do have limited time to record today, unfortunately, so if we don't get to your question today, keep an ear out on Tuesday next week, and if we have time, we may defer some questions to that point. At this point, our two matchups from yesterday are final. And in the matchup between Jonah Williams and Jawan Taylor, it appears that you, the listeners of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, prefer Jonah Williams, the technician, the guy with a couple of years of pretty good grading from Pro Football Focus, doesn't quite have the size over the prototypically sized, a little bit worse graded over his career, but started to make that up a little bit in 2018, Jawan Taylor of Florida. There is one more tackle in the bracket. You'll hear about him later today. But between Jawan Taylor and Jonah Williams, it sounds like Jonah Williams is OT1 for our listeners by a 65 to 35 margin. The second matchup featured Kentucky's Josh Allen against another edge rusher in Florida State's Brian Burns. This one was a little bit more of a runaway as we expected because Josh Allen, as we talked about yesterday on the podcast, is a consensus top six-ish kind of prospect in Brian Burns. Some people don't even have him in the top 15. It's looking like today. I think he's probably a top 15 prospect in terms of he has rare movement abilities. He has developed hand use and showed that he was able to per- perform athletically after adding weight at the combine. So that's where we are so far. We have Josh Allen advancing and Jonah Williams advancing today to join TJ Hawkinson and Ed Oliver from day one. They might match up later. So let's get into today's matchups. We have a pair of quarterbacks and a linebacker against an offensive tackle. We'll start with the quarterbacks. So our quarterbacks in our bracket, of course, assume that Kyler Murray is unavailable. So the two quarterbacks we're comparing at this point are Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke. You can argue that maybe Daniel Jones should be here. Maybe we should have put Will Greer in here at some point as well. But these are the two most likely consensus first-round targets for the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll start with Dwayne Haskins. He's 22 years old coming out, had excellent productivity as a one-year starter. And of course, that quick sentence contains two big pluses and one big red flag. Productivity and age, A+. Red flag, one-year starter. The number of one-year starters that have gone on to have successful NFL careers is 
Cam Newton, and then some question marks. There was a guy in the 70s, according to Jim Coburn. You'll hear that if you go check out his video on Dwayne Haskins. And there's Mitch Trubisky, who, if you want to talk about recent guys that have come out with one year of experience, he might be on his way to being an effective NFL quarterback. But when you talk about NFL greats, Cam Newton is the closest. So not a whole lot to point to when you say one-year quarterbacks going on to be successful in the NFL. The counter-narrative is that he improved in a lot of areas as the season went on, and that excellent productivity profile really puts him in somewhat rare air. Looking at his film, very good ball placement, especially in the short passing game and especially in the deep deep to intermediate middle part of the field. As the season went on, some questions about his accuracy outside the numbers, but QB class, Derek Klassen on Twitter, really good QB evaluator, said that early in the season when I was talking to him about this today, he showed the ability to hit those outside throws. Makes sense because I watched some of his games later in the season, but the ball placement he has on those short passing game throws allows his guys to run with it after the catch, and you see that quite a bit on tape. Other positives for Dwayne Haskins, he's said to be very smart, really executed the Ohio State offensive offensive system extremely efficiently down the stretch, and you can see him setting things pre-snap. He offers very little athletically, but does have good awareness in the pocket, will maneuver in the pocket well, but he is a little bit inconsistent throwing on the run. Really good, pro- really good pocket presence, good marks from PFF passing under pressure, and against the blitz. That's my summary for Dwayne Haskins. And I think that's pretty spot on. That, that is going to wrap up pretty much all of his uh, good qualities. I think if I, if I were to add his bad qualities, it's obviously the one-year starter is a bad part for analytics. You've mentioned it enough. I had a conversation with Jim Coburn that will play at some point next week, uh, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. And he mentioned also Mitch Trubisky. While we don't really know what Trubisky is, uh, that's you know one guy to point to as a one-year starter that was drafted fairly highly. On tape, though, for Haskins, I think he struggles when things break down, when he has to go off script, when he has to move from his original launch point within the pocket even. Uh, and you know, going to that third and fourth read and sometimes making a play, creating a play, he will uh, tend to be a little bit more inaccurate, I think, at those times. And that's when I, I struggle with him because I kind of want a guy that will do a little bit more, as we see with Andy Dalton, and he struggles in that phase of the game. Uh, it makes me want somebody that could potentially be much more in that area. But being 21 years old, turning 22 soon, you think with one year starting, every strength and weakness he has doesn't necessarily have to be his strengths and weaknesses three, four, five years from now because he could develop in a lot of ways. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that he would be one of the quarterbacks that would be best served by sitting for a year and learning in the NFL. And the thing is, he does occasionally flash some of those skills too. The He has a few plays where you can point to and say, yeah, he made that play thrown on the run. He made that play uh, after things went off script. So he, he did create a few times in that respect. But if you're looking for a guy in this draft that's going to consistently try to create off script, and I say try to create because he's not always successful in doing so. That's the other guy we're going to compare here to Dwayne Haskins in this poll, and that's Drew Locke. He's a half year older than Dwayne Haskins, so age isn't really an issue for him, but productivity is. Compared to NFL starters since 1996, looking at their college productivity scores, and this is all from James Coburn, excellent resource when you want to add another data point to your draft evaluations. Drew Locke is below average for NFL starters. He beats the the threshold that no effective long-term NFL starter has ever been below. So he could be an NFL starter. That's not to say he can't be, but he's below the average for NFL starters, below the threshold, I believe, for even the Pro Bowl level. Yep. 
So there are some concerns for sure. To say the least, I think there are some concerns for his productivity. Uh, the other big, big red flag for him is hand size, where his nine inch hands are below the threshold that all teams are really looking for, for quarterback hands. However, he was one of the best deep ball throwers in college football. A lot of people will tell you based on Tate, the best deep ball thrower in the draft ranked fourth in the class for PFF, uh, with deep pass accuracy at 55%. I think Kyler Murray is probably a better deep ball thrower. I think of, of, of all the things you could point to for Drew Locke and say he does this definitively better than Dwayne Haskins, it's deep pass accuracy. The other yep. one you could point to after that is you could say he's better off script. He's better when creating. He's a better athlete because he is for sure a better athlete. He actually tested as uh, a plus athlete. Yep. The film suggests he's better off script. At least, like I said, he tries to create there. But I think like Dwayne Haskins... He's inconsistent when he gets off his platform and throws a lot of interceptions on intermediate and short passes. And when you start to see the mistakes happen in that short part of the field, you start to wonder about decision making. Exactly. And I was going to lead to that. While he's comfortable going off script, it's the results off script that really drove me insane when while watching Drew Locke. Now, if you want to go for the guy that's anti-Andy Dalton, in my opinion, that would be Locke in terms of he's going to try and force a throw that may not be there. He's going to try and put a ball where he thinks he can put it, even though he probably shouldn't. And he's going to keep a play alive. The clock, the internal clock's going to go off in his head, and he doesn't care. He's going to try and hold the ball, move within the pocket, or even get outside the pocket and make something happen. So those are good, positive traits. It just seems that when he does get into that off-script mode, two and a half seconds goes off in his head, his IQ instantly drops, and he turns into uh, just a guy that's like, you know what, screw it. I need to throw this ball. I need to get rid of it. I need to push it downfield. I need to make a play happen. And sometimes it's not there, as we know. You know, you'll hear coaches say, you got to throw it away. You got to take the play. You got to eat it. And he just does not like to do that. And he'll compound mistakes and turn them into bad fumbles or bad interceptions or just ugly ugly plays that don't have to happen. So Drew Locke, he has the experience. He's got a great personality, I think. He's got a rocket arm uh, and he's got some mobility to him. But I think at the end of the day, he's got enough red flags to scare me. And and so Haskins has red flags also. It just depends on which ones you feel more comfortable with. Do you want to take the unknown with Haskins being a one-year starter, which really gives you a very limited range of people that have, that have succeeded doing that? Or do you want to take the known uh, red flags with Drew Locke that he didn't produce enough? And people are going to say, well, are you concerned with his accuracy? Are you concerned with the, the bad plays he makes? That goes all goes into the production score. And, as we can see, it puts him at a starter level, but not anybody that's ever going to change your franchise. And he didn't really take that step you would like to see from junior yep. to senior year. He's essentially the same player as a junior as he was as a senior. Of course, I think he probably didn't have great talent around him at Mizzou and faced a higher level of competition, you would probably say, in the SEC than did Dwayne Haskins in the Big Ten. Dwayne Haskins also had two guys that are being talked about as day one day two receivers in the nfl draft in paris campbell and terry mclaurin uh to help him out on his team a couple of guys that on the offensive line that'll probably yep. be drafted but not and a, a great back. offensive line and, yep. and a running back that'll probably probably be drafted as well so there are some pros and cons to both guys another couple things for Locke. he did grade out well under pressure and had like i said really good deep ball accuracy from pro football focus so drew Locke. Dwayne Haskins, that's your first choice. The second choice gets a little bit trickier. Here we put it put against each other what some people think are 
two players that are the best of their position in the draft. Although one of them, I think, well, both of them, I'd say, are actually pretty well debated. The first of them is a linebacker in Devin White, and the other one is an offensive tackle in Andre Dillard. So we'll talk about a few things here. One of them is going to be positional value. And what is it that you're getting when you draft a linebacker 11 versus an offensive tackle at 11? The other one is, well, if both guys are the best of their class, which, which position do you want more as a Bengals fan? We'll start with Devin White. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast already. He's obviously a fantastic athlete. Insane straight line speed for a linebacker running that 4-4 something 40. Great agility, great explosion across the board. Very, very good athlete. Has elite productivity marks from Jim Coburn's threshold and predictive system that we've been talking about for some of these other guys. We talked about it for quarterbacks previously. It's a little bit different of a formula, obviously, for linebackers, largely based on solo market, solo tackle market share. Yeah. And sounds like we have a good recording with James that we can put on next week to get into that a little bit more. Yeah, he talks about Devin White and Devin Bush. You'll definitely want to listen to that. And and it's interesting because I, I, I was watching this today. I watched the videos on him, and he did a video on Devin White after 2017 as well. And he said that if Devin White doesn't improve his production in his senior year, he's not a good bet because he was only like a 75 production score. His, 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 sorry, his, his 2017 season. Right. So he did improve that. It's up in the 90s, mid-90s now, 94, yeah. 95 which profiles and, and is around the average for your all pro level linebackers at the next level. Of course, there are concerns that people will say he's not good at reading his run keys. He plays out of control. He'll over pursue. He'll bite on play action. These are the things that you'll hear people say when they cite Devin White concerns. However, he had excellent grading from pro football focus, especially in coverage. He was over a 91 in coverage for pro football focus, showed off good blitzing ability uh, his his run defense was actually his his worst grade from Pro Football Focus, and some of that we've talked about in this podcast before. It could be the way the LSU's coach and their run defense, and it could also be that Devin White's just sometimes playing out of control. I do yep. think he shows good natural ability to drop into zones and has that easy sideline to sideline speed. The athleticism is is readily apparent on tape. I think he looks more natural, especially dropping into the zone and and, and playing deep. Then does Devin Bush, not that we're comparing him to Devin Bush here, but when when you start to talk about White, Bush er, inevitably comes up as a comparison. The last thing about Devin White is he's obviously going to fill a position that the Bengals really need. Right, and that's, I think, where the focus has been for many Bengals fans this offseason is uh, get a linebacker because you need a linebacker, and there's a linebacker there that's probably going to be good. Or probably will be there. That is good. And Devin White is a good bet. We talk about good making good bets and bad bets. And the film is mixed with a lot of good and a lot of bad. High-end flash plays, some low-end mistakes that you say, well, they could probably get ironed out. But you are, probably have some concerns of why haven't they been ironed out yet. And, uh, you know, when you watch Devin White and, and you say, there's enough on tape that I like. And uh, you mentioned most of those. But w- when it comes to the bet you take in – the draft, you say, well, he's got the production, he's got the athleticism, he's got the size, and mostly on tape, I like him. That is a guy that usually will go top 15, and at a position of need, I think White's going to be a strong candidate to win this entire bracket, in my opinion, but I think when we get to the other guy in Andre Dillard, it becomes, what really do you want, and what's more important to a team's success? And Another position of, you could argue, still extremely high need for the Bengals is a starting tackle. 
especially when you look at the fact that Cordy Glenn's probably only around for two more years. And we have, we've talked right tackle to death, I'd say at this point. Yeah. The one, one thing I'll say before we talk about um, Andre Dillard is I just looked this up. I looked up Keith Rivers production score because the last time the Bengals drafted a linebacker this high, it was Keith Rivers. And he went on and a lot of you say he was a can't miss prospect and he busted. Well, James Coburn would have been on this. His production score for Keith Rivers is 68.74, which is below the average starter. Man. Yep. And he ended up being a below average starter. I think that would, that'd be pretty fair. You know who he really liked also that I got to talk to Jim about Malik Jefferson. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember that actually. Yeah. I was remember number one linebacker that. prospect last year because he had the high uh, 97 production, I want to say. And obviously his, his uh, speed and acceleration yeah. scores were, were very high. So, so it's, it, it kind of made me, yeah, it, it made me wonder, like, where should we slot Malik Jefferson in this linebacker class? And I think that'll be a discussion, and I was kind of hoping for that question this week, uh, but that's a topic for us, I think, next week. Yeah, when we have the when we have the audio from Jim, that'll be great to go with it. I think also that's worth that's a good point to bring up when we start to talk about Devin Bush. Maybe Malik Jefferson is the future. Right. Do you want to bet <laughs> on him? Do you want to bet on him? So let's talk right. about Andre Dillard. Today... Thor Nystrom posted on Twitter, and he said that Andre Dillard is the Patrick Mahomes of left tackle prospects in this year's draft. And I love that quote. He is standing hard for Andre Dillard. And and it's hard to blame him, right? He had one of the highest grades. He had the highest grade, I think, uh, uh, for pass blocking for pro football focus. And he did it over his career at Washington State. He's an absolute unit of an athlete, tested out in the top, Mm -hmm. top tier for athletes and had the best short shuttle time of all offensive tackles at the combine was the only guy to get over that, that high level threshold. He ran a four, four, four short shuttle. And that has been something that's been shown to be predictive of success Mm -hmm. at the NFL level. We talked about pass rushing or sorry, pass blocking grades from pro football focus as well. His grades over, I think all, I think over at least the last three years were over 90, definitely over the last two and Pro Football Focus earlier this year, Steve, Steve Palazzola, we talked about this on the podcast, tweeted out that for guys that are over 90 in college, those guys are most those guys average 75 plus pass blocking score in the NFL. So his track record in college suggests that he will be at least an above average tackle in the NFL. Yeah, that's then. Would you rather have an above average? I say the both guys end up being above average. Then, so let's compare them a little bit. You get an above average left tackle, or you get an above average linebacker. Man, I I, I gotta say, uh, the left tackle sounds appealing. And when we ranked our guys, I had him as the number two tackle in this draft. I like Dalton Reisner also as number one. But having said that, the athleticism and many many people just see Dillard as that you know, eventual Jason Peters type left tackle that is just an athletic guy that can match up against the most athletic rushers and handle them and mirror them. And when you, we talked about uh, PFF Mike Renner's tweets the other day too, mm-hmm. and that Dillard has the most experience in uh, true pass sets. And yeah. that's a good thing. Again, I, I don't be surprised if Dillard goes top 10. And honestly, before, if, if White regains where we originally thought he was going to go, which would be between like eight and 12, I wouldn't be surprised if Dillard and and White are very, very close on draft day. And that's why I uh, this might not be a close poll for our listeners. I think our listeners yeah. would be Devin White all day. But it's hard to emphasize how much Andre Dillard might be undersold. And so there are red flags to talk about. 
One of them is the Pac-12 competition is bad. We talked about this with Dalton Reiser when we talked about level of competition for these tackles. Pac-12's top-rated pass rusher in this draft, according to Pro Football Focus, is Justin Hollins, who looks like a fifth-round prospect for them. Right. So it's not like there's a whole lot that Andre Diller has been competing against. Of course, he's been there for four years, so you could look back and say maybe there's somebody else he faced. Probably somebody at Oregon. Maybe somebody at Stanford. But level of competition isn't really there. And the other thing that could be an issue, and especially for the Bengals, is his arm length. 33 and a half inches, which is the bare minimum for a lot of teams that tackle. Yeah, and that, that's what I wonder for them. If they say, well, yeah, short arms, we're not going to take them in, uh, as a top you know, 12 pick. So, yeah, that's where I, it gives me the most pause. Even though we've discussed it and there's a lot of 33 and a half inch arm guys, I, I think if there was a threshold, it should be around 33 and a half and, instead of 34. That's yeah. kind of used as an old uh, standard, and I, I think that should probably change. But, uh yeah, if the Bengals haven't changed, then this this discussion gets really one-sided really quickly. That's right. So those are the matchups for today. Look for those polls to go out on Twitter. And then we're going to get into your questions. We'll do our normal mailbag thing. It might be a little bit shorter today than usual, but we will have time, I'm sure, next week to fit some questions in. So we'll be right back and we'll get to your questions. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We are doing our weekend mailbag. You guys sent us a lot of questions again, and we'll do our best to answer them. We'll jump right in. First one's from Rob Whitaker at Rib Whitaker. He asks, I feel like this is the most informed. Well, first he states, I guess. This is, I, feel like this, I feel like this is the most informed I have been before the draft because of your podcast. Thank you, Rob. Uh, that being said, I'm nervous that they will call a name that you guys haven't talked about. Will the Bengals take someone at 11 that you guys grade going outside of the first round? I don't think so, right? There's too many options for them to really shock us that way. Have we yeah. been shocked by the Bengals in the first round in the last 10 years? Shocked? No, not in the first round, I guess. Like, uh, like it, Even the ones we didn't like we were expecting, we were talking about them. Billy Price, Darquez Denard's come to I, mind. Tyler Eifert surprised me. That's what I was going to say. I was I'm more shocked by the guys that were clearly highest on the board and they actually went there and didn't attack a need, and that would be William Jackson and Tyler Eifert. So who's the guy that we have graded outside the first round that scares us the most? Like The closest to that, I think, is is like a Cody Ford. I was going to say Cody Ford. That would be uh, who I'd say. Yeah. I can't really the, – the next one would be Dexter Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence is actually the nightmare pick, I think, that would be mm. – late first generously yeah and and it's not to say that dexter lawrence is a bad player i think he's a very good player but it's just a nose tackle value yeah because you're going to pay that guy as a top nose tackle on day one if you spend the 11th pick on him uh i i I think cody ford because to me i think cody ford could go at 11 yeah that could happen but i think if i was looking at him neutrally he goes closer to their pick at 42 than he does 11 and again, not to say that Cody Ford is a bad player or anything. We just have our reservations. We've talked about them before in the podcast. 
And if we haven't talked about Ford enough, he is a tackle one-year starter out of Oklahoma, big mulling type that many think could probably and should be a guard instead. And many also think he fits the prototype for Zach Taylor. Or not Zach Taylor, Jim Fish, Jim Turner. Turner. Man, there you go. names. Our next question comes to us from Joseph Mulvey at MJMulvey47 on Twitter. Are there similarities between the Rams offense and the 2015 Bengals offense? The 2015 Bengals, if I recall correctly, ran a lot of run pass options, and it seemed like the first read was often open. It seemed perfect for Dalton. And Joe, I know you read the book about, or started reading at least, the book about the LA Rams offense. What say you? Yeah, I'd say there's similarities in terms of 11 personnel, uh, a lot of the RPO stuff. I want to say 11 personnel, that's three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. Uh yeah, it, the only the biggest difference I think from the Bengals and the Rams is the Rams are uh, a, a lot of times a true fifty fifty split in terms of run and pass. They lean on the run game a lot and very often, and because it sets up their their passing game, it sets up their play action passes. So yes, uh, it's has similarities. Obviously, there's differences based on just. Three years later, the NFL is moving yep. very quickly. And I would say the thing about the first read always being open for Dalton, 2015, man, think of the weapons. It was A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Tyler Eifert, Giovanni Bernard. The of read was going to be open every single time. You felt very comfortable, I'm sure Andy Dalton did, in going to, you know, I, I they're, they're shading towards Green. I can skip him on this one and go right yeah. to Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu. So uh, if, you know, that's the case, it, someone's going to be open. So it's up to the offense to create that and have guys that are talented around him, just like we saw the first five weeks or so last year. And you hope that there's something similar this year. I remember in 2015, it would often just be count the number of players on each side of the field. And if you have a numbers advantage, throw yes. it to that side of the field. It was That's that right. easy. Yep. A lot of teams do that. And so you, you, what I mean is, uh, say you've got three receivers to the right and a tight end split to the left. And there's three defenders to the right and two defenders to the left. Say the one corners with the tight end and then the safety's walking down in the box. So really you have a three versus three on the right and a one versus two on the left. You're going to take the three versus three on the right. So yeah. basically you're looking for the numbers advantage and you go that way. And you hope that the Bengals have that with John Ross taking a step again here and his, what is this going to be? Fourth, third, third year, third year. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to mention here is I think that you'll probably see more play action from the Bengals under Zach Taylor than you saw from the Bengals in 2015. For sure. And that's a good thing. Uh, next question is from Seth. A, he goes by at Louisville guy. He asks, what would you prefer? Now he's got two different scenarios here. So the first one is Devin Bush, Will Greer, Max Sharping. Three guys we've talked about a lot, right? Or Dwayne Haskins, Dalton Reisner, and Blake Cashman. I think this one's easy for me. I think it's easy Haskins, Reisner, Cashman. And the reason is you get a quarterback that is both of them. I don't know. Actually, when I start to think about it, then it gets hard all of a sudden because you had the red flag on Greer that he's 24 and you had the red flag on Haskins that he only has one year starting. But I think you sit Haskins for a year behind Dalton, let him learn, and then he can come in and be, be effective and be your guy of the future. Then you get Dalton Reiser, who we've talked about before, I think is a fantastic tackle prospect. He's a better prospect for me than Sharping, of course, in the third round. And then Cashman, of course, is a worse linebacker prospect in the, than Bush. But now we're talking about linebacker. And I still think that Cashman is a very good prospect and not necessarily as far separated from Bush as you might believe. And I also would go has 
Haskins, Reisner, Cashman. And it's all, all of these grades, if you look at our spreadsheet, too, are very close, actually. So this is a good question. It is a good question. Our next good question comes from Hude Matt at Maddie Wayne. Welcome back to Mailbag Weekend, Maddie Wayne. Every morning I start the Lockdown Bengals podcast as soon as I hit work. Glad that we're keeping you company at work. Appreciate that. What podcasts do you both absolutely have to listen to? This is a tough question, and, I, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't have any other podcasts that I really listen to. You know what I listened to the other day, though? I will say this. I listen to the UK Bengals podcast uh, just because sometimes I want to hear someone else talk about our team and, you know, get out of my bubble a little bit and make sure I'm looking at things the right way. And those guys do a heck of a job. Yeah, I'm in the same boat where podcasting isn't really my favorite format. I like to read things because I read quickly and I can't. I mean, you can turn up the speed on a podcast, but even still, a 30 minute podcast on one and a half speed is still going to take you 20 minutes to get through. Uh, that said, I did listen to the Bengals Beat podcast and they had Steve Palazzolo on because I wanted to hear what he had to say. And I listened to a bit of the uh, Jeff Hobson podcast today because he had Willie Anderson on. So wow. for me, it's, you know, who, who's who's on? Who do I want to listen to? And and I'm very selective about that sort of thing. I'm I'm definitely a reader. But you know what? I start a new job in two weeks. Maybe I'll need something to listen to to get me through the day. And then I'll ask you guys for some podcast recommendations. And next question here is from Sam Anger. And Sam's a good friend of the show. He says, hello, lads. Hypothetical. Let's say it's one draft pick and the Bengals take Devin Bush. Personnel-wise, as it stands, who do you want to see in the base, nickel, and dime formations? I guess I'm trying to get a feel for who currently uh, like going forward on the roster. Who you currently like going forward. You can tell he's British, right? Hello, lads. Yes. Uh, you, you should call him mate then, I guess. Hey, mate. All right, All right mate. Good question there, sir. Um, the Bengals didn't play dime last year, and it'll we'll see if they ever play dime again. I, I we'll see. I mean, under Anna Rumo, anyway. But they did a few a handful of snaps when we took, remember I talked about Brandon Wilson playing kind of a linebacker safety. Okay. So they did in a different kind of way. Who was the linebacker they left on the field on those plays? Was it when everyone was hurt? They only had two linebackers active. This was this was only Nick Vigil, I believe. Okay. Okay, base is Nick Vigil, Devin Bush, Preston Brown. Nickel is Devin Bush, Nick Vigil, and Dime. Probably still Nick Vigil from an experience perspective, but Devin Bush could certainly take that over if he shows that he's comfortable playing those coverage situations. And calling the plays, too, because it would yeah. be the one guy with the radio right. helmet of in that scenario. Uh, and I, you may ask also, uh, it, you didn't specify, Sam, if it was just linebackers, but I, I agree what what he says. If, if you want to say... Uh, you know, I think our, our base defensive backs are set already. We know who they are, and I think the nickel is even probably set. Dime-wise, if they kick a dime guy in there, I don't know if that's going to be a safety. I don't know, uh, is it an actual corner? Do they get BW Webb and play with four corners? You rarely even see that yeah. from teams that do play dime. So yeah. um, that'd be interesting. But, I, you know, and I think the most for me would be who really plays as the fourth defensive lineman and your nickel defense, because I think we know it'll be Carl Lawson, Geno Atkins, and Carlos Dunlap. If all are healthy, the fourth guy, they signed Kerry Wynn. I think they'd love to see another step out of Sam Hubbard and maybe even Jordan Willis, and maybe they possibly draft a guy. So I think that the defensive line in that scenario is still up, up in the air. Speaking of steps, 
it'll be interesting to see if Jordan Evans can take another step and Malik Jefferson, who we talked about earlier, could be a guy that if he takes a massive leap, he could be getting on the field a lot more. Our next question comes from Bro Hoodberry. Okay. So somebody that likes Joe, I guess. Or you know, he's, or not. He's a, or not. He's a Bengals bro in the hood. That's what his description is on Twitter. I read it today because it was like, who is this guy? All things considered, do you think it is hypothetically the cheapest year asset-wise to obtain a potential franchise quarterback if the Bengals had to move up in the draft to take their QB? That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Because it would mean uh, I normally it gets expensive when you have to bid against other teams, right? So if you if there's one clear-cut number two guy, we saw as early as last year that the Jets were trading up in March for Sam Darnold. And we didn't even know who the number one quarterback was going to be yet at the time. But they were yeah. sure they wanted to get in second place to draft that quarterback. So now we haven't seen that. We haven't seen any teams really move up yet. Uh, there's teams that aren't even sure if they want to give up a second rounder for Josh Rosen. So yeah, this might be the year if you were to move up, you probably not you're probably not competing with anyone. But if you're not competing with anyone, you might as well stay stay where you are too. And then that is the cheapest way to get a quarterback. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Good answer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next question is here from Mother's Soul 5 they ask, I think it's time for new uniforms. And I agree uh, to go with the New Day theme. I'd like to see helmets get a matte finish and a simpler jersey with the old block numbers. What would you guys update with our current uniforms? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I like the idea of uh, of the matte finish on the helmets. That sounds kind of cool. It does. Simpler jersey also sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. I also like the idea of new uniforms. When... Isn't isn't aren't aren't teams on a schedule or can they do new uniforms whenever they want? Do you know how that works? I don't. I would assume there's a minimum though, right? So yeah, you don't have so. every year or every two years. But yeah. the Bengals got to be past it, right? Perhaps. I, I love they their all whites. Be. I love their all whites. Oh, I do too. I wish the helmet could be all white, but per rules, it cannot be. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean you can't get more creative than what they've done with it. But for me, I would go back to the jerseys of the. 80s early 90s and just have the stripe on the shoulder uh mostly white and and you know black jersey with the big block letters i agree with that and go with the helmet i love those pants from that era also with the stripes down the down the leg and they kind of uh you know it, it just that always to me uh, the stripes to me should be embraced as much as possible without overdoing it yeah well, yeah they should have an alternate that is actually just striped too, like like legit Bengal tiger stripe. So not just you know what I'm talking about, like a, a yeah. Bengal pattern, animal print. Yeah. Give me I an animal do, print jersey, guys. I, I'm thinking of like you know '90s Wolverine, how he's got the stripes on the shoulders. They actually call that tiger stripe Wolverine. Some people aesthetic wise, but uh, he's got stripes on the upper shoulders on the top, and then he's got stripes over on his ribs. I'd like to see something incorporated that way. But then we're not. Then we're not getting. We're probably getting too crazy with that. I just looked up Tiger Stripe Wolverine. Yeah, that's a little crazy. But it does kind of look like an NFL uniform, too. It does, doesn't it? Like, he's got shoulder pads, too? Yeah, he does. Our next question comes from Greg Borchers. Of the core Avengers, who dies during Endgame? Also, who is a player you identified this year that stands out while watching other players? Making you go, who is that? Could even be a player for the 2020 draft. Okay, I'm going to answer the Endgame part first. I think, uh, man, I think it's very possible Cap dies and here's my bold prediction okay cap dies multiple times and i'll leave it as that wow 
I was gonna say like Captain that? America too, <laughs> because like Iron Man is one that they tease in the trailer, like he's about to die, and I feel like he's not gonna die. They showed him almost dying, so somebody's gonna save him. So, but Captain America though, definitely could see that one happening. Uh, and then the player that that you identified this year, the stands up while watching another. I know for you, 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 one of yours is Gary Jennings, right? Oh yeah, that's that'd be a, a very good, uh, very good. Nomination. Trayvon Wesco, maybe another one from West Virginia. A couple of guys on West Virginia, actually, generally. West Virginia has some guys that are going to get drafted. Who else was it for you? My guy would be TJ Roming, um, slot receiver for Duke. When I was watching Daniel Jones, he's one of the first guys that stood out. Really, I didn't think Daniel Jones had great talent around him, but this Roming guy, a little short guy, listed at 5'10, 170 in the slot. Uh, just found a way to get open, was tough, ran good routes, made some nice, really contested grabs, played the ball well in the air for a little guy. I looked at his stats, and he's out this year in the draft. I haven't heard anything on him. Uh, I don't even know what he ran on his pro day, how he worked out at all. But he, in four years at Duke, he caught 253 balls for 2,900 yards and 13 touchdowns. I also think he did some returning, too. So this guy's probably going to go undrafted. Yeah, he had 33, 38 punt returns in his career. So um, he probably goes undrafted. But you know what? Let, him, let them sign him as an undrafted guy, and I'm going to be like, hey, I like that guy. And that's how it works. My guy is going to be a guy that's well-known, I think, in a few years, and it's Justin Ross, the Clemson receiver, because I was watching, we were watching the quarterback, and Justin Ross, man, that guy's going to be special. Trevor Lawrence we're watching, right? We were watching Trevor Lawrence, and I was like, who is this Ross guy? He's unreal. And I think he is unreal. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, I would draft a Ross receiver very highly. Anytime it's a Ross. What's our next question, Joe? It looks like it's from Troy Snyder, and he asks, with the possibility of Rashawn Gary being drafted by the Bengals, are there any good comps of a player like that that is physically talented with no production that went on to be a great player in the NFL? Daniil Hunter, right? Yeah, I think Daniil Hunter would be a good comparison. So uh, Daniil Hunter, yeah, they have different athletic profiles. Daniil Hunter was bendier. Yeah, and I think Hunter ended up having a lot of tackles or i think his production score wasn't that low he just didn't have a lot of sacks uh he was good again you know because they played the run real hard uh mostly he's going to compare he's going to go between and I, I remember watching his uh profile on for gym metrics at common man football on youtube looking at uh gary's production profile and it lands between jihad ward and cameron jordan uh hmm. so you know that that's one guy that's really good, Pro Bowl, perennial Pro Bowl type guy, and one guy that really uh, didn't make it very long. Yeah. His athletic comparables, uh, according to mockdraftable.com, number one is Bradley Chubb. Number two is Adelius Thomas. So the first two guys that are his, his athletic comparisons are, are pretty good. Also on the Kyle list, Vandenbosch. Yeah, I was going to say Kyle Vandenbosch is there. Erasmus James, who I don't first think. first-rounder really did much in the NFL, but was a hyped athletic guy. So some guys on both sides. Brian Robinson. Yep. Did he just retire this year? He's been a pro for a long time. Yeah. So I think there are some guys that come out and they prove that they weren't very productive in college and then they're going to go on to be productive in the NFL. But even guys like Ed Oliver, who you'll say like, oh, he should have had better sack numbers in college or whatever. They still have high production scores. Ed Oliver still has a high production score. And that's with the PFF idea that he was used too much as a nose tackle too. So 
it's it's an uphill battle for Gary. That's not to say he can't do it. He certainly has a profile to do it, but there's not a long list. Our next question comes from Kasha Kostrick at Kav. Ka, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Kasha. I don't, I, I don't know how to pronounce your Twitter handle. If 2011 TCU Andy Dalton was a draft prospect in this year's QB class, where would he rank amongst the quarterbacks? Good question, Kasha. I would say he would have less red flags than some of these uh, guys that we've talked about. This class is riddled with flags and potential uh, reasons to bust. But I would say Dalton uh, would be one of the safer guys, maybe even the safest. He, he was He was viewed that way coming out. Kyler Murray would still go number one because of the upside and and go before all of them. I think there's a chance Drew Locke, and I th- here's why teams are probably take Drew Locke second if if that comes to, you know what really we've been hearing lately, and it's because of those upside plays and going off script and having the strong arm, and doing the 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 gunslinger things that teams fall in love with. Yep. And so I could still see Dalton going after him. But I think Haskins and Dalton would be a debate for a bunch of teams in the same way probably Daniel Jones and Haskins may end up being a debate because Jones would be seen as more of a safer player. Uh, You know what you're getting out of him. And I think Jones and Dalton would be probably viewed very similarly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the guys after Murray are so highly divisive. And even Murray. For some people, as a as a divisive prospect, oh yeah, Kyle Krabs has Murray. I think as a third round prospect. So you ask different people, they're going to have Kyler Murray as late as the third round, fourth round, maybe if you're if you if you find somebody that's really going out on a limb. And there's also split opinion on Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. So where does Andy Dalton fit on in with all of them? I think there's no way you see Dalton even in this class as later than a early second round pick. Right. So that being said, I think that Dalton would be the solidest second round pick in terms of universal evaluations. And then, you know, maybe even a little bit higher just compared to the strength of the draft class. The year we talked about it, the year Dalton was drafted was a weird year. Uh, Jake Locker went ahead of him, right? It went Cam Newton, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, and then it came down to Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick in the second round. So you look at those types that went, right? Cam Newton, he'd be the Kyler Murray, the one year starter high upside type plays constantly, you know, flashing Heisman Trophy winner. And then the next would be, I think in my mind, Gabbert and Locke could be very similar. Both Missouri too. Interesting how that works out. But I think Locke may be much closer to a Jake Locker, uh, not because of the name, but because of how they play. So for me, I think Ponder and Daniel Jones may have some similarities. And, you know, I don't know where Haskins would fall in that group of guys. He doesn't have to compare to anyone. But right. Yeah, and that's probably fair. <laughs> so maybe that's why Haskins is, is being talked about is going a little bit later then. But just in that class, you got to think where Dalton went behind those guys. And I think it would still hold pretty true without trying to have a crystal ball that tells us who he's going to be for his career. Maybe less divisive, but still universally seen as low ceiling, high floor. And I think a lot of people even liked Dalton then. And I remember the Seahawks were thinking about uh, drafting him. The Bengals were trying to trade up and then, you know, slept on it overnight and ended up getting their guy where they wanted him. If only it was Colin Kaepernick, how crazy the history would be. Yeah, I wonder how that would be. Alternate universe, alternate reality, they drafted Kaepernick. All right, next next question. question. Kyle Scoble. Thanks, Kyle, for another question. You're on here all the time. We appreciate it. Uh, He asks, how do you guys prioritize attributes if you are selecting a quarterback? For example, in order, he would prioritize 
Number one, accuracy. Number two, pocket presence and movement. Number three, escaping pressure and making a play. Number four, pre-snap reads and adjustment. Number five, arm strength. Feel free to add other skills. He's, he adds at the end there. I'm trying to figure out if I disagree with this ranking. Accuracy, I think I keep as number one because that's the thing that you hear coaches across the board say you can't really teach. And yep. for me, anticipation kind of goes into the accuracy bucket as well. Although they, although they are different traits, they're both things that I group close together and I think they go hand in hand. I think it's hard to have really great accuracy without great anticipation. So I yep. would also put them together. Pocket presence and movement. I might I might put that third. Also, I don't know how different it is from from playmaking in, in number three, escaping pressure and playmaking. Unless you're talking specifically about scrambling and ability to create create yards, positive plays with just the legs. I, I think that you may okay. I'm I'm going to pretend that that's what it is, even if that's not what you mean. I I can agree with that. I don't think that esca- escaping p- pressure and playmaking is terribly important. Actually, I would put that maybe fourth and I'll move pre-snap reads and adjustments to third because then I think about Tom Brady and I think about the the high end of pre-snap reads and adjustments and the low end in his case of of creating off script I mean he can do it because he's Tom Brady right. but I mean it's not like you you look at Tom Brady's game and you say he's going to scramble and make a no look pass you know throwing sidearm the way that Patrick Mahomes does Tom Brady's would go number four first with pre-snap reads and adjustment and then accuracy and then pocket presence where he's an elite, you know, all those are elite traits for him. And the other ones are just a wash for him. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm thinking of. And you think about the best quarterback probably ever in Tom Brady and that's the order it goes in. So that's what I want. <laughs> you know, that that's what, that's what informs the list for me. And I think arm strength fifth is fine for me. You know, it would also, who's my coaching staff, you know, what, what, do I have the opportunity to let a guy develop? Uh, am I going to get an Andy Reid type that's going to get my quarterback in the right play in right situations? Because if I was ranking Patrick Mahomes, I would say number one is his escape pressure and playmaking. And I but think also that's like, accuracy when he's doing that too. No, I agree. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Arm strength would next be next for him and then accuracy. And then, you know, you can put in the other ones because you know, for me, I think accuracy and arm strength are so much more tied together than people will ever really admit yeah. because you, it's hard to be accurate on the second and third levels without having the requirement of arm strength. Yeah. So, you know, you if you're still accurate in the second level, third level, and in, in deep, throwing deep balls, it's because you have a good arm and you're not really, you know, testing it or, or forcing its limits and then hurting your accuracy. So That's fair. these are all all good qualities to have obviously but for me i think it's a must to have accuracy it's a must to have pocket presence and you want your guy to be smart which is pre-snap reads and adjustments so the other ones are cherry on top and really what will sep- what will separate your guy from the other guys that have all these things cuz i say most of these quarterbacks have those would be escaping pressure making plays off script and then the arm strength to make throws and do things that other guys can't do so they're all important it just depends on you know what you can afford to take and give up a little bit but really that's just Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson too in terms of guys that are making those special plays it's so rare to to have guys that can do that at a high level that doesn't just turn into say Cam Newton had an MVP year and went to the Super Bowl it almost worked for him yep that's true Cam Newton too Uh, that's my mistake to forget him but the point the point remains that it's rare to find a guy that does that and doesn't just become Jay Cutler yeah you're right and that's why I think 
it's it's hard to find either type. And we talk about different spectrums at quarterback, right? We talk about the one spectrum where the, where Pat Mahomes is on, and he's the best at, at it right now. And then the other spectrum where it's Tom Brady and and Drew Brees. And on the on that same spectrum is Andy Dalton. And on the same spectrum of Patrick Mahomes is Jameis Winston. And probably so, Aaron Rodgers too. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I should have said Aaron Rodgers, but yeah, I forgot about him too. Uh, and Russell Wilson and guys like that. But you, my point being is. They share a lot of the same attributes, but one one of those spectrums can do things the other one can't do. And I think that's where I lean to want that, and I think that's why these guys go high. That's why you try to draft a Jay Cutler in just the hopes that he ends up being something the, the other spectrum can't be. Our next question comes from Henrik, at Neiman Henrik. In case Dwayne Haskins slides on draft day, what do you think will be his floor? And I think this comes up because... QB room, the QB film room guy said that he sees Dwayne Haskins having a slide similar to Aaron Rodgers. And then I said something about, well, maybe they should trade back to 24. If you're telling me you just have to trade back to 24, it means you're only giving up a third and a fifth. Yeah, I'm all I'm on that all day. So what do you think Dwayne Haskins floor is in this draft? You may even give up your next year's first for that opportunity. Uh, so that would be interesting. The, uh, the draft value chart says second, third, and fifth equals 24th. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, if you you could also say you can give up a mid round pick and next year's first for someone's first round pick the same way. You know sure. that happens yeah. every year. Uh, so that's why I was saying you could you could go about it other ways. I'm, I'm uh, more hesitant to give up future first, but you could. That's that's true. Uh, and this also comes up because I think Chad Forbes wrote or at least had had tweets of the Bengals should, or he's saying if the Bengals don't take Askins, he doesn't see a great fit and maybe he slides and talking about a slide we're talking into the 20s and if that's the case he said the Bengals were smart they take their their Devin Bush and then come back up and get Haskins and say listen we won draft a spike it down we made some bold moves we're a smart team smarter organization and to be honest with you that sounds like something that would excite the entire fan base but so where do I think his floor is in terms of how low could he go yeah it'd be in the 20s we've seen this happen we see it happen all the time I mean I there was Talks of Lamar Jackson could go number 12 last year, and then he goes with the last pick or the 31st pick or 29th, whatever it was, in the first round. It, Aaron Rodgers is the famous one, but it happens a lot. And, you know, every year, Teddy Bridgewater, too. It, it You know, I want to say 20 to 22, 23, 24 would be the floor, but then here I am thinking of good quarterbacks that I really like that ended up going with one of the last picks in the first round, and I guess that could be a possibility. Did, did the Browns trade up for Johnny Manziel in the draft, or did they already have that pick from the Eagles? Because it wasn't their pick to begin with. Yeah, I don't. Re- they must have uh, traded and allowed. Uh, no, I'm thinking of a different different draft. You know, I don't know how they got that pick. I don't remember. I was just thinking if they trade back up and and get a Johnny Manziel, that that would be the that would be the disaster outcome. Sure, that's what you don't want to do. Yeah. Next question is from BZ at Big Papa BFG, and he asks, if both Devin White and Devin Bush are available at 11, is there a scenario, Jake, where you would actually want the Bengals to draft Bush and not White? I don't think so. And, and I think that other people would say Devin Bush is a better prospect. There's a big group out there, I think, that believes Devin Bush is a better linebacker prospect than Devin White. But for me, the differentiating uh, factor is, is going to be their productivity scores from James Coburn. And Devin White has it, and, and Devin Bush 
just just doesn't have it the same way. He has, I think, what is it, starter level production? Yeah, I'm eighty six sure. versus ninety five or something. I something thought it was seventy six. Okay, well, that's oh, closer maybe, than I thought it was. Maybe it is. I'm sorry. It, it could be. I've got the notes actually right in front of me. If you would like me to go one page back here, keep all of my notes here, and yep, you're right. It was seventy six. Yep. So so that's a big thing for me, right? They're similar athletes. They they have similar grading. I think White is likely a better cover guy, especially once he gets coached in the ways of NFL reads and NFL uh, habits. And and I think Devin Bush can still be a good player, but I, I just like White more myself. Could there be a scenario where I want them to take hey, – this is just basically take your pick, Bush or White. You know, I don't think I – think, here's the scenario. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Devin White posts a picture on Instagram or a video on Instagram with a bong mask and he's smoking a joint right before the the draft. That's that happens. where I live, Joe. Okay, I'm just saying that's how it happens, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the scenario. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then he gets picked in the third round. Yeah, or whatever happens. You know, we've seen some crazy things happen right before the draft and it sends somebody tumbling a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I, those are the scenarios. There is a world, I suppose, or something crazy happens that I can't imagine right now. And, and I will listen to the push. to the argument that Bush is better than yeah, White. I will listen, and me and too. I I won't fight it. I just think, um, if they took Bush over White, they better be correct. If they, they take White right. over yeah. Bush, and Bush ends up being better for another team because that seems to happen anyways to the Bengals, I'm not as mad, <laughs> and I don't know why it works out that way. I mean, does that? I mean, it didn't happen with Artie Burns. You're right. It didn't. They better be right, and they took the the right guy. They did. Well, not that Artie Burns was seen as a better player than William Jackson. It didn't anyway. happen with Kevin Zeitler and and David DeCastro. No, but it was pretty close. And even if it, even if David DeCastro was better, he'd be a Brown right now. This is true. Anyway, that'll do it for today's mailbag. That's all the questions we have time for. Thanks, as always, for all of your questions. They are fantastic. We love answering them. Joe, do we have a winner for best question? Is it is it Kasha? Uh, yeah, I like that. We discussed that at least. Uh, so that was the TCU Andy Dalton 2011. Yeah. Where would he be? Yeah, that's a good one, Kasha. Kasha, will be in touch. You get to pick the music for next week's mailbag. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And remember to vote in the mock madness polls that will be up soon have a good one Bengals fans is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements maybe it's time for a rebuild or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy either way join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for mock draft Monday on the locked on NFL draft podcast They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.